All right, this morning uh, we are starting a new sermon series. This is on the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, this is one of the letters of Paul. Uh, Paul is more responsible than anybody for the early spread of Christianity. Uh, he took several missionary trips in his lifetime. Uh, he went throughout the Roman world planting churches in every city that he would go to. Uh, he would get to a city. He would usually start by going to the synagogue because those were his people. That's where he could get inroads and he could get preaching opportunities. And he would start a church everywhere he went. But he never stayed very long. Uh, he always felt like his job was just to start the church. And then he would move on to the next city to start a new church. And other teachers would come in behind him um, and teach more about you know, spiritual leadership and development. And get the church going even bigger and better and keep it going. Uh, he felt like his job was to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and he did it very well. And so the vast majority of your New Testament, after the four Gospels, um, it's all about Paul, right? The book of Acts is mostly about Paul's missionary journeys. Um, and then most of the rest of your New Testament is the letters that Paul writes back to these churches that he started. Okay, he writes a lot of letters um, talking about different instructions and encouragement and so forth. Um, and that's what we know as books like 1 Corinthians. Okay, so on Paul's second missionary journey, he went to the city of Corinth. Um, and he had some success starting a very small church there. And as was his usual pattern, he left. Behind him came other teachers, guys like Apollos. And they worked there. Okay, but then after Paul was gone for quite a while, he got a letter from Corinth detailing some of the problems that the church there was having. After all, baby churches have problems. That's just the normal course of events. It's inevitable. Okay, what's not normal, though, was the extent of the problems facing the church in Corinth. Uh, quite frankly, everything in Corinth was pretty terrible. Um, this is a little hard for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, Gwinnett is a pretty healthy church. We're actually super healthy. Uh, we're not perfect, though. But we do tend to handle problems when they do arise really well, and so that leads to an overall church of health, right? We've got lots of people here that have been Christians for a really long time. We've got a lot of maturity here, um, and so we tend to be a very healthy church. Okay? But I have been to some churches, I know some of you have been to churches before, where it wasn't always healthy. I've been to churches before where we had all kinds of troubles. We had leaders fighting with each other. That's never a good thing. I've been at churches where we had generational conflict, where the older people and the younger people couldn't see eye to eye, and so now we get to have a good church fight, right? I've been at churches where we had worship fights, okay, are we going to sing old songs or new songs, and how's that going to go, and now we can fight about it. Any of you ever been anywhere where you've had any of those kind of issues before? Are you familiar with some of that? Okay, none of that's pretty. Uh, one of the reasons that Rachel and I like it here so much is because we have a peaceful church. Now, there is a lot to be said for being part of a church that knows peace. Okay, but even the worst church stuff that I've been through doesn't come anywhere close to the level of the problems that they were having in Corinth. Right now, we will get into the specifics of some of those problems as we dig deeper into the book. But the basic problem is that the church in Corinth looks more like Corinth than it does the church. I know you find this hard to believe, but back a long time ago in churches, they had a lot of trouble with people looking more like the culture around them than they did looking like followers of Jesus. 
Okay, we would never do that, right? But back a long time ago, people really struggled with being more like people around them than being like Jesus. Okay, and Corinth was a big city. It's a very important city in the ancient world. Uh, if the city had a slogan, it might be something along the lines of, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. A lot of travelers came through. They looked at Corinth as a good place to let their hair down and do stuff that they never would do at home. Um, and so the city developed quite a reputation. Um, and in Paul's day, a slang term for a loose woman uh, was she's a Corinthian girl. That's just the kind of reputation that Corinth had. Okay, all of these problems from the culture were coming into the church. Paul sees if all of these problems go unchecked, it will kill this church. Right? This church needs to look like Jesus, and it doesn't. And so Paul knows that he needs to write this letter in order to correct all of these major problems and to get them back on track with being the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Paul writes what we now have as 1 Corinthians. Okay, so my first question as we're looking at this book is, all right, if you're dealing with this, if you're Paul, Okay, and you look at this church and you say they've got all these big problems, they've got these huge things going on, they're fighting with each other, there's rampant immorality, they're focused on all of the wrong things. If you were Paul addressing a church with all of these huge serious problems, what's the first thing you would do? Okay, because you've got options, right? There's things you can do. You know, I think if I'm Paul and I'm addressing a church that has as many problems as they did, uh, I would do the same thing that I did to my two boys when they were having problems in the back seat of the car yesterday. Okay. Yesterday, we were driving from Atlanta back up to Gwinnett. Um, and as we were in the car, my little one has this, um, the, the lid of a water bottle. It's like a metal piece. And he's just holding it. And then for absolutely no reason, he looks across the seat at his brother and just chucks it straight at his face. Okay, you're a big hit, everyone's crying, um, and you look in the back seat and you're like, really? That's what you're doing? For no reason, right? You know better. What are you doing? Okay, how would you like it if I threw that at you? You wouldn't like it, would you? So stop it. You know, I think if I'm Paul, uh, I would address the Corinthians the same way that you address small misbehaving children, because that's exactly how they're acting. Okay, guys, you know better. You know not to do this. How would you like it if people were treating you that way? Do not make me pull this van over, right? Okay, but I want you to notice that at the beginning of the letter to the first Corinthians, uh, Paul doesn't do any of that, right? Later on in the letter, Paul will talk really straight with them. Uh, Paul certainly never pulls any punches, but that's not where he starts, Okay, notice because this is important. The very first words that Paul gives to this church, Paul offers them a new vision. Okay, he invites them to change their perspective. He doesn't start by correcting all the specific problems. He doesn't start by yelling at them or screaming at them like I probably would. Instead, he says you need to see things in a new way. Okay, notice this starting in verse 1. It says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. I think the first thing Paul does when addressing a church with serious problems is he gives them a bigger vision. 
He starts by giving them a bigger vision. You know, again, I go back to parenting my children. I think one of my constant struggles as a parent uh, is trying to get my kids to see more than just what's right in front of them, right? I'm trying to give them a bigger vision, get them to see more of what I see. You know, the other day, it was Wednesday night. Um, I took them to McDonald's. They had, we had just about an hour before we needed to be back here. Um, and so I took them to McDonald's because I believe in a good, nutritious meal for my kids, right? Or I believe in a place that has a play place that I can stick them in, right? McDonald's knows what they're doing. Okay, and so they're playing on the playground for a while and everything's going great. Um, and I know that it's time for us to either eat or go and we got to make it pretty fast. And so I pulled Sam over and I said, Sam, you've got just a few minutes before we have to go. If you want dinner, now is the time. Okay, if you don't eat dinner now, you're not going to get dinner until after church tonight and then you're going to be really hungry. Because he'd been telling me, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. So finally I said, Sam, do you want a Happy Meal? This is your last chance. He says, yes, I want a Happy Meal. And here's the plan, Dad. I'm going to have the toy and you eat the food. Awesome. Okay, when Sam sees a Happy Meal, what does he see? He just sees a toy. Okay, as the dad, what was I concerned with? I'm concerned with all the bigger picture. I know if he doesn't eat now, he won't get to eat in a little bit. It's going to be late before we finally do get to eat. I can see what the next several hours of his life are going to look like. I can see a bigger picture. All Sam can see is what he wants in the next five minutes, right? That's what children do. Aren't you glad we all grow out of that? See, part of what happens when we experience hardships and difficulties, when we go through struggles... Uh, we tend to get real myopic, right? Our vision tends to narrow down. All we can see is the struggle right in front of us, and we lose sight of the bigger picture. Okay, in a church with a lot of problems, oftentimes we can see the problems, right? And we can even see those problems very clearly. Okay, but we forget the bigger vision. We forget our bigger identity as members of the kingdom of God. Paul starts this letter by not focusing on the problems at this church, but by giving them a bigger picture and reminding them of who they are. Okay, notice again what he's saying here in verse 2. He says, you all are called to be holy. Okay, you are the set-apart people of God Almighty. You are children of God. You remember that. He also reminds them that they are together with everybody who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. And you think about this, they're focused on their little churches. In the city of Corinth, they were in house churches, right? Maybe 20 to 40 people in a house church. Now, maybe Paul's writing to multiple house churches, but I guarantee you Paul's writing to dozens of people, not hundreds or thousands. These are very small churches, It's very easy for them to see, okay, we're fighting with each other in the living room on Sunday morning where we're having church. And they are forgetting that they are part of this bigger worldwide work of God that is spanning the globe. God's plan to redeem all of creation. He has to remind them, you are part of something so much bigger than what you can see right in front of you. When we get that vision, then the immediate problems don't seem nearly like that big of a deal, right? Remember who we are. we got to start there. All right, notice where he goes next. Verse 4. Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. 
For in him you've been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, Paul starts by offering them a bigger vision. And then he moves from there and he invites them to see what's good. You start with the bigger vision. Remember you're part of this worldwide movement of God, this big massive plan God has to redeem the world. Then after that, he invites them to focus on what's good. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that I came home from work, and when I get home, the house is a mess, dinner's not ready, there's a pile of laundry on the living room couch. Okay, and so I look at my wife and kids and I say, well, what did you do all day? They're all on your side already. Don't worry, I'm, I'm getting there. Okay. okay, what if instead I come in, and it's the exact same scene, right? House is a mess, there's no dinner, all of that. But then I look at the calendar on the wall, and I notice that all of Luke's doctor's appointments for the day are crossed off. And I notice that the boys' bathing suits are hanging in the bathroom. Right, and I notice several other things that have happened during the day. And I say, well, what did you guys do all day? It's the same exact phrase, right? Same exact set of words that I said when I walked in the door. Uh, What's the difference? In one scenario, I'm going to get hit, right? In the other scenario, I might actually get dinner that evening, right? Okay, no, in one scenario, I walk in the door, and what am I looking for? I'm looking for the negative things. In the other scenario, I'm looking for all the positive things and all of the good things. Which way makes me a better husband and father, right? You know, on a podcast the other day, I was listening to a guy talk about how to have a good marriage, and it was all pretty common sense kinds of stuff. But he said one of the number one indicators when he's doing marriage counseling with people is if they sit and they talk about all of the things that are wrong, then they're in a whole lot of trouble. If instead they can sit down and talk about what's good about their relationship, then there's hope. One of his biggest jobs as a marriage counselor is to get people to quit just focusing on the things that are wrong in their marriage. Instead, start focusing on the things that are good in their marriage. Because in every relationship, there is some good and there is some bad. And the question is, what are we going to focus on? What are we going to lean into? And when we can learn how to lean into what's good and what's going well, then we start focusing on that. And that actually leads to more good and less of the bad. What's your vision? What do you see? Do we see what's good or do we always see the glasses being half empty? Okay, and this is not to say that you don't ever address problems. Uh, this is certainly not to say that, you don't, that we should just go around and sugarcoat everything and pretend everything's okay. okay. Again, as we get deeper into this letter, Paul is going to be very specific addressing the problems that are facing this church. And Paul never pulls his punches. He will say exactly what's wrong and tell them exactly how they need to get their act together. Okay, but he doesn't start there. Paul starts by reminding them of all of the great things that are going on in this group of Christians. Okay, notice some of the things he said just in the last few verses that we read. He starts by reminding them, he says, you've been given grace. Think of how your sins have been forgiven. But I think anytime we are facing any kind of a church conflict, 
we need to start by remembering how much we have been forgiven. It is really hard for me to hold a grudge against you if I first remember all of the things that I've done wrong that God has forgiven of me. In fact, Jesus told a few stories that make that exact point, right? If I remember how blessed I am with grace, that brings all my problems into a very different perspective, right? Right, second thing he says is he goes, remember that you've been given God's teaching. He says, because of the teaching that Paul himself did in this community, because of what the teaching the other teachers brought after him, they know how all of this plan of God is working through the covenant, how Jesus is fulfilling all of these promises for the sake of the whole world. They know where creation is going. They know the role that they play in heading towards redemption. Paul tells them, you have all of the knowledge that you need to excel because God has already given you all of the teaching that you need. In other words, before we address any problems, we start with the knowledge that we have all the pieces already to solve our problems. If we know it's possible to find wholeness, that makes it a whole lot more likely that we'll actually get there. That makes sense? All right. And finally, he also says, remember that you have every spiritual gift. Right, and again, we will talk a lot more about spiritual gifts as we get into the letter. Um, they actually become a problem for the church at Corinth. They like to focus on the extraordinary gifts, right? Like the speaking in tongues and healings and prophecy. And Paul has to redirect that. Okay, but Paul has to remind them, he says, you have the gifts of God. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in this church. And if the Holy Spirit is actually at work among you, then no problem is unsolvable. Okay? If we have that understanding it changes things. It's the attitude shift that we need to move forward. Okay, so Paul ultimately is getting them to focus on what's good. Right, I think there might be some applications from that for us, right? Uh, when I face problems in my life, what's the first thing that I do? Do I focus on what's good or do I focus on all the negatives? How can I train myself to better remember the good things that God has given me? He, you know, the, we sing some songs like Count Your Blessings and things like that. Um, I think that's not just for kids, right? How do we make that a part of our daily walk with Jesus? All right, number three. Third thing Paul does in this text is he, before he addresses any problems is he urges them to refocus on Jesus. Okay, he urges them to refocus on Jesus. Uh, the other day when I was at work, my wife sent me a text and it was a series of pictures. Uh, and I would love to show you the pictures that she sent me, but I can't because they're not safe for church. Okay, I'll explain in a second. All right, my boys were out in the backyard playing, um, and they found a frog okay, and a mud puddle, and it was amazing. Okay, so they each took off every stitch of clothing that they had on and rolled around in the mud with the frog, and they had this frog, and it was incredible. Okay, so I have a series of pictures of my boys playing with this frog, and it's just exactly what little boys are all about, right? I love it. All right, uh, in a similar way to what we talked about earlier, my boys tend to get excited about something, uh, and that holds all of their attention for the five minutes that they're on that one thing, and then what happens five minutes later? Yeah, we're on to something else. If I asked them what happened to that frog later that afternoon, they have no idea because that was their entire world for about 10, 15 minutes that afternoon. And then once that was done, they were on to the next thing. And that's what kids do. They focus on one thing, then they focus on the next thing. And again, aren't you glad that we all grow out of that? 
Okay, the Corinthians had the very specific problem of focusing on all of the wrong things. Okay, they got very excited about spiritual gifts, and they focused on that, and that was awesome. They were celebrating the freedom that they had in Jesus, and so they focused on that, and that was awesome. And then they got excited about something else, and they focused on that, and that was awesome. And what Paul has to do is he has to remind them. He says, okay, you're focusing on all of these things. Some of them are even good things, but what happens when we focus on good things to the exclusion of the best thing is that even the good things become bad things. That made sense in my head. I'm hoping that made sense when I said it. All right, so what's the one thing that you have to focus on if you want to have a healthy church? Okay, it's Jesus. Notice again in the text, um, I'm not expecting you to read all that. That's the nine verses that we just read. And notice how many times Paul reminds them of Jesus. Okay, in just nine verses, he reminds them of Jesus nine times. You want to have a healthy church? Where's your focus got to be? It has to be on Jesus. There's nothing else that even comes close. And actually, as we continue through this letter, every time Paul addresses a specific problem, he has the same formula. He says, okay, if the gospel is true, if Jesus really did come to this world and die for the redemption, the redemption of all of humanity, if that's true, okay, then how do we apply that to this specific problem? And then he tells them how that all works out. And then he does the same thing with the next problem. With every problem in this book, Paul says, how does the gospel impact this specific situation? Okay, and taking a bigger view, um, there's going to be a lot of problems that we end up facing as Christians and as a church that the New Testament never talks about. Okay, so how do we have a biblical answer to those problems? Well, I think we do the same thing Paul does in 1 Corinthians. We say, if the gospel is true, if our focus is on Jesus then what does a gospel solution look like to this particular problem? And I think if we have that right focus, we can solve anything. That makes sense? That work? You know, I think a lot of us walk around in perpetual crisis mode. I think most of us walk around in our lives and we're overwhelmed, we're overscheduled, and we need to take some time to refocus our lives, remember the main thing, remember what's most important, and bring all our other problems into that perspective. Um, I want you to notice one more thing, and then we're done. Uh, notice what Paul does about past, present, and future in these, in these verses. He reminds us about Jesus. He says, Jesus called us in the past, right? Remember who you are. And he says, Jesus equips us now. He gives us every gift that we need to solve everything that we're facing. Every gift of the Spirit is part of who we are. Okay, and he reminds us that Jesus is on our way with us to this future completion. There is an ultimate redemption coming. Jesus is coming back, and you and I get to be part of that. Jesus is all about our past, our present, and our future. And if we can remember how to keep the whole world and all of our problems and see them through the perspective of Jesus, then it all starts to work. Again, as so much of the New Testament says, it's always been and it always will be all about Jesus. You really want to get your life on track? You got to get Jesus. All right, at this time in our service, uh, we are going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, we as the church want to be here for you. We would love to sit down with you and teach you more from God's word about what it looks like to walk with Jesus. If you've never become a Christian, we would love to explain to you how you can have Jesus as the center of your life. Um, and before we sing that song, um, I would like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.
If you have a need, would you please come forward now while we stand and while we sing?